1: Welcome back to Colony, the official podcast. I'm your host, Tara Bennett, a senior producer for Sci-Fi Wire. So this week, we're digging deeper into the Seattle colony of it all, and I'm thrilled to talk a clean, well-lighted place with our podcast stalwarts, Ryan and Wes from the block, co-creator and executive producer Ryan Condal.
0: Greetings from Seattle.
1: And executive producer Wes Took. The rainy city. Uh, Yeah, Mm. (laughs) no joke. And we also want to welcome Season three's producer-director, Tim Southam. You know his work from Bates Motel and Netflix's new Lost in Space. Hello, sir. It's so wonderful to have you.
2: Well, good to be here from afar.
1: From afar, in his bunker. Is he hiding with Wes? No, he's not hiding with Wes. (laughs) Different bunkers. Everybody
0: requested different bunkers.
1: (laughs) And we're in our neutral bunkers. So the producer-director role, I want to talk about that a little bit, is really important to the creative decisions that are made, the aesthetic, as well as just the overall operation. If you're a Colony fan that you know, before the show was shot near the writer's room, now it's written in Los Angeles, but it is shot in Vancouver. So it's even more important to have that core member of the team that's the eyes and ears making some decisions that need to be happening a bajillion times a day on any episode that they're shooting. So tell me a little bit about how you guys brought Tim in and how you guys worked together to kind of figure out what you needed for this season as a whole.
3: Well, we knew there was going to be a language barrier moving up to Canada, so... So it's eh? important to hire a native. <laughs> obviously, yeah. we'd walk out of a meeting and be like, "I
0: think they really like us." And Tim be like, "No, no, no, they hate you." Yeah. yeah, but they're also polite that you just you don't know. So Tim would do a lot of the Subtitle sort of facial, basically. yeah, facial yeah. recognition translation for us. Um, but no, I mean Tim is fantastic. We've been working with Tim since season one. Tim directed episode eight in season mm-hmm. one, and then a bunch of episodes in season two. And you know, he's always been one of our favorite go-to directors. And the opportunity came up this season to make a change and move. And mm-hmm. Tim was the first on both of our lists, and he had the added benefit of also not only is he canadian but he's the president of the canadian directors guild so tim knows the lay of the land in all places canada incredibly well knows crew and everything and um not just saying this because he's on the podcast but we would have been dead in the water this season without Tim and his involvement and stewardship of the show so we were incredibly lucky to have
3: him and owe him an incredible debt for what he did for colony this year a shift in look and feel in addition to location that he oversaw and being able to help the other directors prep in terms of how they were going to approach their episodes so that there is remarkable continuity, I think, this year in the way that the show feels stylistically and visually. And just as a point of contact for the crew, I mean, that is the challenge of having a show that is out of town, as the writers are simply not there. There is a writer there, but there's not one point of contact. So Tim shouldered a huge responsibility being the point of contact and making sure, I mean, all the production design looks so wonderful. The show really stepped up its game with this year. I think a lot of it had to do with having Tim specifically there and making sure that it all looked great.
0: Yeah. And also the hows and whys of how we approach this production. I mean, Colony is very much a run and gun show. Yeah. Like this is not a show where you get to do reshoots or you get to like shut down for a week while you rethink about the action beat in this episode, you just have to keep moving. And we didn't reshoot a single scene this year, and that is due to the incredibly efficient machine that Tim and the rest of our crew were able to set up up north, and we were able to support as best we could traveling back and forth between L.A. and Vancouver, but it's like independent filmmaking really in a lot of ways, and you just have to kind of take what Mother Nature gives you and own the mistakes and just keep pushing through it, shouldering it, and moving on, and you need a person like Tim at the helm in order to be able
2: to do that.
1: And Tim, what were you most excited about?
2: Well, I finally got to use the fact that I'm completely waterproof <laughs> to, to make a living.
1: Congratulations <laughs> that on that, by the way. Amazing. I have yeah, the honor you. of I'd... getting
0: to apply that final layer of wax to uh, Tim's head <laughs> to finally seal it in.
1: Seal it all in. Like
0: a fine wax barber jacket, like water off a duck's back. He would just stand out there and just repel rain. It's yes. really amazing.
2: Yeah, they just call yeah. me Human Gore-Tex. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Al Gore-Tex.
2: Yeah, it was fun in the woods. It's something that I like. Ryan mentioned independent film. The whole world watches film as kind of series now. I mean, whether it's on the big screen or at home, we love our stories to be long and complex and full of multiple characters and many, many beats and many, many storylines. The writing has become so sophisticated in film because of this kind of canvas that we work on now. And for me as a director, the search was for the show's creator and a creative team that really thought that the team of directors that would come in and work with our crew, that we could help with the storytelling, that we could enhance storytelling, that we could make proposals and make the show as three-dimensional as possible. You know, it's been a long journey for TV from the days when we would essentially say a lot of words with some sort of pictorial support to the kind of filmmaking that Ryan and Wes aspire to. And for us to get to play in that world is just really rewarding. Uh, Then getting up to the Pacific Northwest, absolutely. You know, we're out in the elements. How do you use that? How do you make that fun? How do you use the light? How do you immerse your characters in that world? And so I suppose what we talked about the most was our desire for the show to be really immersive. For the audience and the characters to be as one in every episode. I guess we call it POV filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And so we developed a language around that, both in the writing and the shooting, where we would go everywhere with specific characters and be those characters and really, really sort of be inside the action with those characters. And that was a whole conversation about how to do it and how to take advantage of the environments we'd be in to get that done.
1: And so establishing this environment, you're coming from, like you said, the cool kind of feel of the Pacific Northwest wilderness to now Seattle, which is a very metropolitan kind of city, and seeing how it still functions as a city, even though there's the occupation. Were there any discussions about aesthetics, how far you wanted to go? You guys have done an amazing job putting green screen in effective use, especially inside buildings and getting to see what the skyline looks like when you're inside of an office or things like that.
3: This episode in particular wanted to integrate this idea of it's a new place. There's been a time jump. It's deliberately disassociating at the top of the episode to be dropped into it. Yeah. And we thought for a concept for that, it would be very helpful to draw noir. Yeah. And we handed it to a writer, Lee Patterson, who knows a ton about noir and is really, that's his style anyway. And the director, Karen, really embraced it also. Therefore, it has a very specific look outside of just making people catch up and realize it's six months later. There also, it looks so dramatically different that your brain subtly says, well, something has happened, something has changed. This is a new place. This is not just L.A. And we'd always been excited about that, that we were going to be able to move from – there's this dramatic irony of being in a repressive regime in the bright sunshine of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Well, now we're going to be in what looks like a totalitarian regime in the concrete and rain of Seattle slash Vancouver. But maybe that means that other pieces of the storytelling are going to change give people that visual cue right at the top.
0: It was a really exciting episode for us to make. I mean, it's really kind of a totally break-the-mold colony episode. It's very subtle. It seems like nothing is happening. And what we're doing is taking you through two totally character-driven stories from your main characters, and we're telling a story of subtext. Subtext about the new environment that they're in, Mm -hmm. the rules of this new colony, Mm -hmm. how things work here, what's going on, what they've been up to for the months and months that have passed since they arrived in the refugee camp. This is another leap forward in the episode some long period of time into the future. And you're telling a relationship story, not about what's going on in the relationship, but what's not going on in the relationship. I mean, there are very few scenes actually shared between Will and Katie. And what little does transpire between them tells you a lot about how they have reacted to the tragedy that's happened in their family and how they've created these new lives and new worlds for themselves to not deal with the pain that they've experienced.
1: I'm a huge fan of visual exposition and this episode is so beautiful with that. And that we just start, oh wait, Bram is doing deliveries and wait, they've got phones and they're supposed to use them all the time. And in a way, there's this really wonderful inversion, really, of Katie's now working on the inside like Will was when he was back in the L.A. block and school for Gracie. And Will is the one that's the odd man out, desperately trying to stay away from interaction of his family by doing night shifts and ride sharing and all that kind of stuff.
0: Kind of working in a life of resistance. He is not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Yeah.
3: And going back to what Tim was saying about the kind of joining of directorial and writer mind, there's so much work done in this episode visually to communicate that story without having to tell people about it. That shot of following Will back into the apartment, through the kitchen, seeing the kids, and then the camera handoff as he passes his wife without a word in the hallway and then dropping into her POV as she walks back in. I mean, that was on the page in concept, but then it was executed by a director who understood the POV handoff. And it saves you five scenes of talking about how strange they are. You just catch it all in that moment.
2: Yeah, I was particularly impressed by that being design. Karen Gaviola decided to shoot it as a wonner, and sometimes wonners are a little bit arbitrary. They're, right. they're kind of just for fun. In this case, she's painting a picture where a father is alienated from at least one of his kids and from his wife. And so we sort of go in with him, pick up on this, transfer as he goes off to bed without even looking at Katie, transfer to Katie, go back into the kitchen witness her interaction with the kids, which is completely different from Will's, and end on the kids, which is critical because the kids then acquire their own plot. So it's a fantastic piece of directing by Karen Gaviola, perfectly set up by this writing, which has the characters on the one hand all cleaned up, no longer in the woods, no longer sort of muddy and desperate, Mm -hmm. but underneath all that, psychologically, completely desperate, completely alienated, completely shut down.
1: And the thing that's really wonderful is Bram has done what he said he would do, which is you never are quite sure when you say things in a fraught moment how you'll step up. But it's really wonderful to see Bram understanding what that means and really committing. And so we really get to see them bonding as brother and sister.
3: We spent a lot of time talking about the dynamics of the family and how it would deal with this tragedy. For parents, there's a natural pulling away from the children who survive a tragedy just as kind of a self-protective measure and that leaves a void. And in this case, in telling that story, Bram can step up and fill that void. It's very important, ultimately, that the Bowmans are the heart of the story, and you can put an enormous amount of pressure on them. But if you don't know that they care about each other and they're not invested in each other, I think that the storytelling itself breaks down. And therefore, to have Bram be able to do things that his parents cannot keeps us invested in that group in a way that would probably be challenging otherwise.
0: Yeah, it's a story irony, right? The adults in the situation are not dealing with the problem like adults, whereas the children are the only people that are actually talking to each other and having a real conversation about what's gone on and what's going to happen next.
1: Bram has been a character that has been very impulse-oriented in terms of his passion, getting, you know, Katie's passion that's carried on to him in terms of resistance work. And this is a different side to him. We really do get to see him as somebody that is invested in his family when he's often felt he's ready to fly and go do his own thing. And this is a surprising but really wonderful insight into him in terms of the nesting for Gracie.
3: These time jumps have been really helpful.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: I mean, the actors are growing up. Yeah. Just your relationship with them changes. And it can't help but inform the characters. When you're talking to an incredibly accomplished pair of young actors, like the ones we have, you realize how smart they are and how intuitive they are. And it starts to flow back into the storytelling. These are incredibly important developmental years in anyone's life, but they're accelerated by having gone through trauma and having gone through war. So Bram is the oldest 18 or 19 year old kid on earth at this Mm -hmm. point. You know, it's like when you go to war zones or talk to refugee kids, they just always seem like they're 40 and it's because you've just seen too much. And Bram a scene too much.
1: Yeah, it's true. I wanted to ask Tim, was there a, another moment in the episode outside of what we already spoke of that you particularly were very happy with or that came from a discussion between you and Ryan and Wes or even the director of the episode that helped set kind of the new canvas? Because again, it does establish going forward what the series is going to look like.
2: What I really liked about the episode was just how beautifully it was designed and shot. I mean. Karen Gaviola, she had to do a reboot aesthetically of the entire series. She had to work with Jeremy Stanbridge, our designer, and work with Glenn Campbell, our costume designer, to come up with a new look for the family and for the entire city, (laughs) Uh, specifically at a time when we were running out of money or at least (laughs) stretching our resources creatively as well as we could. Uh, She had to create the Seattle Colony. What I really, really liked about this episode was the way we, you know, we've gone from uh, the growth of a totalitarian regime in L.A. with the complete destruction of that population into running from that into this sort of resistance camp where someone you were supposed to be able to trust and who was to offer inspiration in the struggle turns out to be a despot. And now we're into a, a new environment where we have a new kind of leader. Maybe he's a fascist, maybe he's your best friend, maybe he's uh, the messiah, but technology is allowed, you know, it used to be society was run by business and government separately, yeah. <laughs> and now we have Seattle running as business government.
1: Yeah, and it
2: may be that the technology is fused in an interesting new way in our own society to allow that to happen. And so this character, Win Brady's character, who's introduced for all intents and purposes in episode seven, mm-hmm. brings us into this very, very contemporary version of a top-down society. And you know, the question, "Can we trust this guy?" becomes paramount. How the writing and Karen Gaviola's work handled that, I thought, was really fantastic. So that was what really caught my interest overall. And then I would say one more thing that I liked was Will's mission, his compassionate mission on behalf of uh, the Lennox family. And uh, this character played by Moya O'Connell is a very well-known Canadian theater star. I thought it brought a lot of pathos and humanity to this big picture episode, this big sort of welcome to Seattle episode. So I liked the sensitivity of Karen's work, even as she was sort of world-building very subtly.
3: It's a tough story in the sense that you can't tip your hand mm-hmm. you presume, as a colony viewer that as the story starts to build, that you know where it's going and it's going to lead towards some huge
1: conspiracy exactly. and yeah exactly,
3: and it turns out to be this very human drama, yeah. And to do that and to have those scenes make sense in retrospect or on a second viewing, that you could be rewarded in watching them and realizing what's actually going on. Yeah. Those are hard things to shoot. It's hard to get all the actors on the same page. It's Mm -hmm. hard to, you know, not instinctively want to tip your hand or tell people too much. And she walked a very careful line there.
0: Yeah, and and came in the completely unenviable position of being a guest director. Karen had never directed for Colony before, and we we handed her essentially a mid-series pilot and said, (laughs) uh, okay. uh, Make this work.
1: You have eight days
2: of prep. (laughs) Good luck.
1: (laughs) It was awesome. And she did great. One of the interesting challenges
2: for our directors was to have them sort of sense that there really truly was, and the show truly embraced the idea of this POV filming, that they could abandon some kinds of objective filmmaking that typically we're expected to deliver in a television show in favor of much more subjective work. We saw the light bulb go off in Karen. She realized, oh, awesome. And she just dove in. She just completely embraced it. The other thing that seems so successful, and this I really have to credit the cast with, because they do provide this kind of continuity, is how they moved from the desperation of episode six mm. and the complete exhaustion and the darkness of episode six to appearing to be okay in episode seven, yeah. but of course harboring this incredible subtext you really count your lucky stars when you're working with not one or two, but five or six actors who really get that and are able to hold that for 13 episodes. It
3: was a marathon for them this year. I think as a viewer, you can start to sense that there's a lot of emotion. It builds to a peak, and the peak is not in episode 13. It builds to a peak in episode 5. And Mm -hmm. then there's a huge fault in episode 6, and then they're playing repression. So television actors are a special breed to be able to keep that it going that long over yeah over and over and over and over go and over from again.
1: elements to now this different environment that's a huge shift for them as just creatives as well but they know their characters inside and out and they're able to dial in exactly what they need which is so wonderful to watch And we have to mention that this ends with an amazing reveal with Broussard slipping into the back of Will's car and he's got a a new look. But it's also that moment I think we've been waiting for as fans the entire season of going, "When, when do they connect again? And it's unexpected because it's Will.
3: The beginning of a beautiful friendship. Yes. Yes, indeed.
1: (laughs) I want to, of course, thank Ryan, Wes, and Tim for your time uh, and being able to break down the episode for us. It's a great one. Thank you. We will uh, talk to you next episode. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening and being with us this week, as always, for our Colony the Official podcast. If you are enjoying the show, please give us a review and subscribe on iTunes. Great rankings help colonies profile in general, and we want more of your cues for our listener mail segments as well. So leave me any comments that you'd like in our section underneath the blog where you can post anything that you'd like me to ask Ryan, Wes, any of the actors or crew that might be appearing on our podcast. That's on Sci-Fi Wire every Wednesday night. Or you can just reach out to us on Twitter with questions. Find me via my Twitter handle at Tara D. Bennett and we will take those into account and add them into an episode and I want to always thank my podcast team producer Bartley Taylor producer editor Paul Terry our mixer and master Dave Draper and LA digital recording for being our home this week thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you next week